This is the Financial Side of Life podcast, episode 21. Welcome to the Financial Side of Life podcast. Our mission, to empower you with smart financial strategies and show that it's possible to get a college education, save, invest, retire, or do whatever makes sense to help you live your best life. We'll meet amazing people and professionals who will share stories about how they do it, and together we hope to bring a little sanity to your complex financial life. And now, here is your host, Certified Financial Planner Pro and founder of Avea Financial Planning, Angie Forbotten-LaRossi. Hey everybody, Angie Forbotten-LaRossi here, and I want to welcome you to the Financial Side of Life podcast. Today, I have with me Sarah Stanley Falah. She's a PhD founder and president of DataPoints LLC, which is a company that provides scientifically validated behavioral finance tools to advisors like me. And we'll get more into that a little bit later in our conversation. She's the daughter of author and the original millionaire researcher, Thomas J. Stanley, who's the man behind the Millionaire Next Door books. I first met Sarah just uh, over a year ago and when I was attending my very first XY Planning Network conference, which was in Dallas, Texas. Uh, she was there representing her company, DataPoints, in the vendor hall. And as you do, you walk around, you talk with them, find out a little bit more about their company, uh, which I did. And I was also, I also entered myself into a drawing that she had and believe it or not, I won. So I was able to win and use a full year's use of the DataPoints software, which has been great. And so over this past year, Sarah and I have talked off and on, and I decided I just needed to have her on my podcast. So I'd like to welcome Sarah to the program. Thanks for joining me, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to, to chat with you today, and, and I can't wait. Excellent. All right. So I, I have a lot of things that I kind of want to go into, and I've kind of themed uh, our talk today about building wealth, because that's definitely yep. what you guys do do and focus on. So I'm very fascinated with this concept um, and of, of me and me helping people, my clients or others, have a deeper understanding of their own behaviors as it relates to their ability to build wealth. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of start off by telling us a little bit about data points and the work that goes on there and your role there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Data Points was founded based on the work that my father started way back in the, you know, uh, late 70s, early 80s on how individuals become wealthy over time. And so our company really focuses on understanding the psychology behind that, on those behavioral patterns, personality and attitudes that allow someone to build wealth and sustain that wealth for the long term, really what it takes essentially to become the millionaire next door. And, you know, my role is uh, I wear a lot of hats. I run a, this is a small business. Uh, um, yeah. And so I wear uh, almost all the hats uh, with a few exceptions. But, you know, my focus is primarily on the research, on product development, and then, of course, on the operations side as well. But, um, you know, that's we, we do a lot of different uh, research in, again, areas related to psychology and wealth. Um, you know, primarily our uh, customers are financial advisors and coaches, um, but we also have assessments on our website for individuals to take and learn a little Ooh. bit more about themselves. So, okay. um, yeah, that's kind of what we do and, and what I do. And that's those assessments <clears throat> are on datapoints.com? 
Yes, yep. If you go to uh, datapoints.com, you can go to the research page and um, you take one of our, we have a financial satisfaction assessment up there right now. A readiness for change assessment is there as well. And we'll be adding a few new ones here in the next couple of months as well. Okay, that's great. I don't, yeah. I don't know that I knew that. So that's yeah. good. Yep. I also have a link a little bit further down on my homepage that allows people to go through an assessment as well. So, um, you know, that's a couple ways that people can kind of dive into some of this stuff that we're talking about today. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Um, and we'll go a little bit more into some of the research and, and things that you have focused on and discovered through through the research. But I also wanted to bring up that you have published a new book in the Millionaire Next Door kind of series. Um, and you did that last fall, I believe, which was yes. fall, fall yeah. 2018, yep. which was called is called the next Millionaire Next Door Enduring Strategies for Building Wealth. Yes, very original, right? We <laughs> we really struggled with that one. Um, it was hard to it's hard to beat uh, to beat that original name, but yeah. but really what what the book focuses on is the idea that you can become the millionaire next door, and that there are these individual behaviors that you can focus on to become wealthy over time um, and that it's still possible today. So the book, the original book was written and, you know, published in 1996. There was mm -hmm. a lot of, um, uh, you know, there are a lot of differences between what it's like today in terms of technology and costs of things like education and healthcare right. um, that, you know, compared over the past 20 plus years. Um, so, you know, it's really focused on looking at the breadth and depth of the research over those past 20 years, really identifying those key kind of behaviors and lifestyle pieces that people can think about when they think about how can I actually build wealth and, and become a millionaire myself. Okay. And that book can be purchased on Amazon or other yep. places. Absolutely. But are they in bookstores yep. as well? Or they are. Yep, yep, it is. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, what were some of the key, maybe key differences that you discovered between the, the two editions? Because some significant amount of time did pass. And not to say that things change all that much, but I'm sure some things have changed to some degree. So were there any key differences that kind of stood out between the two uh, books? Yeah, you know, um, some of the key differences have to do with um, how much um, millionaires paid, particularly for real estate and for their their homes. So we did see an increase um, in terms of the median price paid um, for their homes. Mm. But in general, it still wasn't more than about three to, I think it was 3.4 times their annual income. So that kind of rule of thumb, if you will, um, is, is still generally the same, even though costs have increased. Um, we do see that millionaires tend to have higher degrees than they did in 1996, which makes a lot of sense now. You know, you hear that, you know, phrase that people throw around, well, now an MBA is the new bachelor's and things oh. like that. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, we do see that, which, of course, points to the importance of saving for education and, and you know, making sure that you manage the the um, finances that go along with obtaining those degrees in a way that's conducive to building wealth long-term. Um, 
And so, you know, we, we see that as well. Um, we asked a lot of different questions in the research that we did for this book, uh, including things like the kinds of investing mistakes that millionaires make. So we looked at those, what we might call uh, cognitive biases that we make, like herd mentality and things like that. Um, and I, I think what was surprising about that to me was that millionaires do make mistakes. You know, mm. they're not, they're, they're learning, they're, 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 they're taking chances, if you will, if you can call that a chance. I, I don't know if you can really say investing is a chance necessarily unless you're really, really risky. Mm-hmm. But um, they continue to invest even though they've made some mistakes. They've sold things too soon. They've tried to time the market. Um, but again, they continue to invest in um, you know investments that, that make sense for, for them long term, not in things that are really exotic or anything like that. Okay. <clears throat> were there any, um, were there any major, I mean, do you identify the different investing mistakes or? Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of them have to do with the market timing, okay. uh, quite frankly. So mm-hmm. it's really looking at, um, sell, you know, we, we looked at the top mistakes that they make, um, from things like, again, whether they sold a stock too late, that tends to be one of the ones, you know, in hindsight's always uh, 2020, of course, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, we also look at things like, or rather, we asked questions around um, uh, whether they tried to market time, whether they were listening to friends and others and things like that. Um, and so we have a whole list of those in the book and, and along with kind of what the most, what the most popular, uh, if you will, mistakes are when it comes to, to investing, which is, you know, probably sound a lot like the kinds of things that, that all of us might do. Um, but from that perspective, millionaires are, are essentially just like you and me, if you will. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. And when um, some area that I want to get into deeper too is some of the traits that you've discovered or you've identified. um, And were those also talked upon in the book? Yeah, yeah. So we we do focus on, you know, not only kind of what millionaires reported to us in terms of what they thought brought them success. Mm-hmm. Um, things like being, you know, hard, working hard and being um, and persevering and things like that. But we also talk about those, those key, those six kind of behavioral factors that we found from our research at data points in terms of what different differentiates people that are really able to build wealth on their own from those that really maybe struggle with it. So we go through those six components, things like being frugal and really having confidence in your financial decisions, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, as a financial advisor, I, I have a very, I would say, unique look into mm. people's lives, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> both, both their financial life and their personal life, especially if there's a couple, you know, uh, two, yep. two parties in that relationship. And, um, we get to know our clients very quite, quite well, really. And so this unique perspective into their, their life is, is very helpful, I think, in trying to help them see some of the behaviors that they have maybe exhibited up till now, or that you can see happening as you uh, meet over time or the difference in behaviors between a, a husband and a wife, for example, between partners. Um, and so that kind of gets in a little bit more into those six traits that you have identified. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to us a little bit more about these, I guess you call them wealth factors? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's right. And, you know, understanding those wealth factors can help you as an advisor, certainly help your clients. It can also help us as the ones that work with an advisor mm -hmm. to, to know kind of where to go next in terms of building our, our capabilities to build wealth long term. Um, you know, so there, there are six behavioral factors, like you said, they call them wealth factors. Mm -hmm. um, they, in, in a lot of ways, they're straightforward. Some of them may be a little surprising. You know, the first one is certainly being frugal. So if you're familiar at all with the millionaire next door, that's what, there's a whole chapter devoted to being frugal and, and what that means. Um, really living below your means. Um, one of the things too about frugality is it's not just in one area, as you probably know from the work that you do with clients. It's really having a consistent pattern of being frugal. So it's not just that you saved money, you know, in this season or um, on this particular item or something like that. It's instead really understanding where you are financially and then living within those means and, and really below those means um, uh, across the board. Mm -hmm. So that's that frugality piece. Um, another component is uh, confidence. So really trusting your judgment and your belief that you can actually manage your own financial life, that you can make financial decisions. Um, that, that comes from a lot of different places. We could talk about self-esteem or self-efficacy, which just means I believe I can do things, right, from a psychological perspective. Uh, a lot of it has to do with knowledge and experience, though. And those are things that we can build over time. So, um, you know, someone that's not really confident today in their financial decision-making can improve that by, you know, simply building knowledge, making small decisions, seeing that those small decisions can actually pay off. Um, and those are some of the ways to improve there. Well, that's, um, that's hopeful yeah. because, um, you know, I come across people, you know, friends or family or prospective clients or clients who, who don't have that background. You know, they may mm -hmm. not have been raised in a family that either talked about money or man had money to manage right. or managed it well even if they had it, you know, so that's, that's a good point that it does not only matter that you, um, you know, if you don't have that background or if you don't have that knowledge, you can, you can learn it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, a lot of the, the, the reason that we put this kind of set of factors together were, was because not only the research demonstrated that they were critical, but the way we measure them is a behavioral way and a behavioral method, if you will. And, and you can improve. And, and that's, I think that that's the good news about, about um, building wealth over time. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, another one of those um, is, is just knowing that you can actually do something to improve your mm -hmm. chances of building wealth. And that's this component that we call responsibility. So if I, you know, if I believe that I'm going to be able to achieve my goals, I'll have a high, uh, or rather that I can control what happens when I'm trying to achieve a financial control uh, goal, rather, um, I'll have a greater chance of being successful at that. Versus if I kind of view the world and, and view things that um, are success in my life or really anything, any kind of outcome is something that happens to me, mm -hmm. that's going to be a little more challenging when it comes to building wealth. Um, and we call that responsibility. It's really owning um, the financial success or even failure that happens in your life. Um, if you're higher on that responsibility factor, you, you will have a higher likelihood of building wealth over time. 
Yeah, the, the other, the, the next two are really kind of related. One is focus. So that's, um, you know, as my phone is kind of dinging over here, I'm being distracted and re- reminding myself that I've got to turn it off, oh, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. being focused, you know, I mean, as you know, in, in the work that you do, a lot of the um, work within financial planning involves detail. Um, it involves having to sit for and actually complete tasks related to your finances. And for a lot of us, that's hard. Um, I will raise my hand and say I'm not a personal finance expert. That's why I'm thankful for people like you. Um, and so, you know, I, I study the psychology of it, but that's not my my area of expertise. And so to, you know, in order to really build wealth over time, you know, being able to focus on some of those small tasks and, and even the larger ones is really important. The other piece that goes along with that is planning and monitoring, knowing what's going on in your financial life, being aware, not having your head in the sand is really a, a component that allows you to know where you are. You know, am I, am I on my way to reaching my goals or, you know, am I off the path? Um, which, of course, goes along with that planning piece, which is actually sitting down, having a plan, um, adjusting plans when it makes sense to do so. And again, that's another reason why having a um, working with a financial planner is, is important because they can help you with that, particularly if that's not one of your skills. Mm-hmm. And so that's a component as well. And then the last one is social indifference. Yes, yes, social indifference. So that that's a yep, that's the one. Um, that's the fear of missing out component of all of this. Um, which you know, if I can, if I'm generally frugal, um, if I'm confident in my decision making, I'm taking on responsibility, I'm planning, I'm focusing, but then I really care about what my neighbors are driving and where they went on vacation for spring break, it's going to be very difficult for me to uh, transform income into wealth because I'm going to want to keep up with them, you know, the proverbial Joneses. And so, yeah, so, so those that are really high on what we call social indifference tend to be the ones that are able to have a lifestyle that's conducive to their own financial goals. Um, it may not be, you know, what everybody else around them is doing, but it's ensuring that they're able to, you know, achieve what they've set out to achieve and not be influenced by, you know, what their coworkers are doing or um, being influenced into purchasing things that maybe they don't need or don't want. Um, later on, they realize that, of course. Um, so that's one of those key components as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, again, I mentioned I have the unique opportunity to have deep insight into um, people's personal and financial lives. And I do, I do have assessments that, uh, one that I looked at recently that was a very, to me, very telling because the assessment, this was the wealth potential assessment and it was done with a, a unique client of mine who's actually on the verge of bankruptcy, which is a little bit of an unusual situation for uh, working with clients. And so what I found is that when I'm looking at the different areas, so six different traits, um, this particular individual scored, I guess, I guess you would call it scored, very low in some of these areas, both in frugality, uh, confidence, responsibility. Oh, wait a minute. It's um, frugality and confidence. And then I think it was planning and monitoring were the mm-hmm. areas that this particular person. So I find it, I find it really interesting that 
the assessment matches uh, the actuality of this person's life in many ways. You know, it really matches. And I, I don't know, do you come across that? Are you able to see um, how the assessment matches the actual individual and in their, their lives? Yeah, you know, that, that that's a great question or a great point because the reason that we created the assessments the way that we did is based on research that did look back mm-hmm. at individuals' lives, just like you're sharing with us. Mm-hmm. So we've been... Um, looking at how these six factors actually predict financial success. And when we say success, we really are talking about net worth. We're talking about things like savings rate, how much you're saving each month. And so what we know from a statistical standpoint is that each of the things that that I just described and that, that you measure with your assessment, um, with the, the building wealth assessment, is um, that those things actually predict financial success. So it, sh- it, it makes sense from a statistical standpoint that what you're seeing is what you're seeing, that you have someone that maybe is scoring low in some areas and they're struggling right now financially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and, and on, conversely, if you have someone that's scoring really, really high on across all of these areas, they may be able to manage their finances, let's say, without much assistance, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's very consistent with our research that went into the assessment. We have a, a full technical report if you need some light reading uh, or <laughs> need, to, need to go to sleep at night, describing all of the research studies that we did, again, including, you know, the research that came from the Millionaire Next Door. Um, but, you know, our goal is to actually predict what uh, kind of where people are and then ultimately use that information to help steer them towards a better outcome long term. Right. And so when I think of someone like this where they are struggling um, and we have this information that sort of identifies the different areas where they're definitely struggling, um, where where do you think someone like me, what do I do with this information? What do I do with this knowledge um, if, I, if I'm the advisor or even if I'm the, the person? You know, if I've mm-hmm. gone on to your website, yeah, if I've gone on to your yeah. website and I have taken an assessment and I'm now armed with that information, what can I do with that information to help me improve on where I'm at? Yeah. So, you know, particularly with the building wealth assessment, which is, again, one that's, you know, that you offer through your your practice and that other advisors offer. We don't have that on our our, our website, but the building wealth in, in particular, you know, the first thing to do is kind of decide if this is, if you are the client or as the advisor, um, are you willing to make a change? Are you open to actually kind of taking on some of what you're seeing on your scoreboard and and making a change? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, we typically recommend kind of what's best practice in terms of habit change and behavior change. If you've read the book by Charles Duhigg called Habit, it's a great one. I highly recommend it. It helps you understand how you can change some of the small things that might be um, impacting your ability to meet different goals. But we recommend tackling one area at a time and really a couple of key behaviors at a time. Um, you know, as, as human beings, we can only, we can only attend to so many things. We can only kind of cognitively be aware of, of so many things. And so, um, you know, 
when when you know kind of where your strengths and weaknesses are, that's where you can begin to say, okay, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to start, for example, working on building my knowledge, and that will hopefully help me become more confident in my financial decision making. You know, each week I'm going to read a couple of articles on personal finance in different areas. And again, as an advisor, you can share those with your client and that kind of thing. Um, and then I'm going to work on that for a few weeks. I'm going to work on that for a couple of months, actually. And then I'm going to determine if I've improved in that area. If I haven't, how? what are other things that I can do? If I have, then maybe I'll move on to something else, like becoming um, you know, more aware of what's going on in my financial life, so that planning and monitoring piece. I can begin by just setting a reminder to say, hey, check in on you know this account or this, you know, depending on what it is. Um, and start there. Those can be really simple things to help you become more aware of what's going on. Um, and then maybe moving on to becoming a little more frugal, kind of un- help beginning to understand what it means to live below your means. And that may include also building knowledge. You know, what does that look like? Let me let me read some of these blogs of folks that, you know, even in the FIRE community that are doing this kind of stuff. And for, for most of us, that's really extreme, mm-hmm. but it can help you understand what that, that might look like. Um, so those are the kinds of things that you want to do, especially, again, if, if you feel like you're a long way from being able to build wealth on your own. It's breaking it down into bite-sized pieces where you can say, I can tackle this one. I'm going to give it a few months and work on it. And then I'm going to move on to something else. And that's really what we recommend. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And, you know, just from my experience, too, it is Um, You know, you go through a financial plan with somebody and you identify a lot of different areas that might need tweaking or working on, but it's literally like one step, next step, you know, it's just overwhelming otherwise. And I think people, I don't know, people just don't respond to that. It's hard to get change if it's overwhelming. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I mean, if I get a, a report back that says here are the twenty things I need to do to change my my life, I'm probably gonna you know stick that in the in the uh, you know my pile of paper over here in my you know somewhere. But um, but if I have one thing that you're recommending as my advisor, then I might you know I'll take I can I can take that on. That's one thing. Yes, you know I can I can make that happen and with with encouragement and um, some some check ins and things like right. that. Yeah, and I think I think one of the best things about this whole topic, this behavioral side of finance, is that a lot of times uh, people think that our financial lives is really so numbers based. It's it's all about the money, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. so not. You know, it's so not just about the numbers and not about the money. And these are these are really important things. You know, having confidence or having a sense of security or having a sense of I'm going to be okay. You know, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily a numbers thing at all. So I, I just find that all of this behavioral uh, focus is very helpful in trying to connect with clients, the connect clients to their financial lives, because it does, it does matter, you know, makes an impact. It does. And I think not only the behavioral side, which, you know, we, we tend to deal a lot with at data points, but also that emotional and kind of relational side of finance as well. So it's not only kind of what I'm doing, 
you know, or, or my behaviors as one member of the household, but it's also how I'm relating to my spouse or my significant other. Oh, yeah. um, you know, am I communicating effectively with him? Am I, um, you know, am I taking the time to, to understand his side of, of things? Those kinds of things are really part of the whole financial planning process and, and certainly have to be taken into account. Absolutely. You know, relationships with people, relationships with our money, you know, it's just all connected. It's definitely connected, especially in a, a marriage or a partnership with someone. Um, yep. It's so, so important. Well, absolutely. Um, I was just curious. So the book came out last fall. Um, what's next on the horizon for data points? What kinds of things are you working on? Yeah, you know, we're working a lot in the area of influence and how individuals and, and myself included are influenced into the financial behaviors that, that we are engaging in, um, whether we're talking about our parents or our spouses or our friends or neighbors. Um, that's kind of our research area right now. Um, we have a couple of different book ideas going on uh, that, that I'm working on, um, but, you know, our focus right now is on uh, primarily on the business, on working with the advisors we work with to help them improve the lives of their clients. So that's, that's really our focus, but our research focus is on that influence piece, which is just fascinating to me. Okay, that does. And I, I was looking back at some of my notes here, too, and... Um... I know um, I always liked the way your dad coined a couple of phrases. What was it? Prodigious mm. accumulators of wealth. <laughs> yes. Yes. Prodigious accumulators of wealth and under accumulators of wealth. He, he shortened those to PAWs and UAWs. Those were very hard to say, but, but that was definitely a phrase he came up with. <laughs> and the other one, and I've shared this with my parents because they might be a little bit guilty of this is the, economic outpatient care. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, I think that's what is getting people and, you know, that, that, that can often trip people up is having that economic outpatient care, um, uh, you know, delivered to them early and often, so, um, you know, again, we're talking about adult children right. here, you know, receiving that. Yeah. That, define it just yep. a little bit. What is it? Yeah, so it's essentially, um, you know, parents funding uh, part of part or a lot of their adult children's mm -hmm. lifestyle. So whether that's paying for their mortgage, um, you know, they're they're or buying new cars. It can be gifts. It can be frequent or infrequent, but it's essentially paying for their lifestyle, um, and that is a, a very uh, expensive. Um, uh, mm -hmm. prospect for the future. If you're, if you're not great at telling your kids no now while they're little, um, you know, we would, I would say my father would have encouraged you to, to start telling them now uh, as soon as possible so that you're not, um, you know, kind of on the hook later and, and they're becoming more financially responsible mm -hmm. on their own. So I just, I love that. I had to bring that up too. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Sarah, as we kind of wrap up our conversation, um, I'd like to end by asking my guests um, what their key piece of advice might be. And so in your case, I'm thinking what your key piece of advice might be about helping people to beef up or improve the behaviors that they have so that they have a chance of a more successful financial life, building wealth and so on. Yeah, you know, I think the the key piece um, or the, I guess, key advice I'd give in that regard is, you know, really understanding where you are today and taking a real sober kind of look at what you're doing, 
um, how your what your attitude is about finance and, and personal finance and money in general, um, and then identifying what you can do to improve. I, I think that's really the first step. If you're not willing to kind of take that sober look and, and kind of really understand where your strengths and weaknesses are, it's going to be really challenging to change behaviors because you're not going to know which behaviors to start with, or you'll be changing ones that maybe already are working. So I think it's just being open and, and again, kind of taking that first step and first look at uh, where your strengths and weaknesses are. Okay. Excellent advice. Thank you so much. So, uh, yeah, Sarah, I just want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. Come on the show. (laughs) Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And, you know, to to share this information that we have control over the behaviors and the attitudes that we carry uh, that may have been instilled in us from childhood, you know, or or as we developed into adults, that we have control, that we have the ability to identify where we are at right now um, and what we need to do to get to where we want to be. So thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for what you do, too. Thank you for the show. I want to thank my guest again for stopping by the podcast booth and sharing their unique story with us. And thank you for listening to today's program. Be sure to go to AveaFP.com to check over the show notes for details and links from our conversation. Have you ever wondered what your potential is for building and maintaining wealth? Right now, go to my website, AveaFP.com forward slash wealth potential to take a free assessment and find out. I bet you'll be surprised by the results. Don't forget to send in your questions and I'll answer them in a special listener mailbag episode. So I invite you to come back and listen again, subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app or at aveafp.com. That's A-V-E-A-F like financial, P like planning.com. Thank you for tuning in.